As the kids are shuffling out, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 9 this morning. We're returning to Genesis. Uh, We've been sort of dabbling in Genesis for a couple of Sundays every fall, just sort of moving along, and we're in chapter 9, picking up where we left off, sort of the end of the story of Noah and the flood. As you're finding Genesis chapter 9, to get into the, the right headspace to be thinking about this passage, I want you to think about security. Just think about the theme of security, the topic of security. If you had to fill out a survey right now on a scale of 1 to 10, how secure do you feel? What would you put? 10 being just absolute secure, everything's fine, not worried about anything. Zero being fetal position in the corner, weeping and wailing. Where would you judge yourself on the security scale? What makes you feel secure? And we all have things to happen that disrupt our security. Personal things, financial things, health issues, family, turmoil. If you turn on the news at all. How does one find security in an extremely insecure world? Now, with that in mind, with that topic in our minds, we turn to Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood. Noah and his family have disembarked the ark. God has begun to communicate with them. And he's making a covenant with Noah. So the first thing we're going to see is God makes a covenant with Noah. Verses 8 through 11 of Genesis chapter 9. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now this would have been a very important covenant to Noah and his family. If you can try to put yourself in their shoes, they just endured a catastrophic worldwide flood wherein waters rose above every surface, even the tallest mountains, and killed everybody and everything except what was on that ark. They had survived, and they stepped out of the ark now. The waters had receded. Think what kind of questions might have been in your mind. Do you need to live in the ark? Is there going to be another flood? Do you need to stay within a certain radius of the ark so you can get back in time in case God floods the whole earth again? He said to be fruitful and multiply. Does all that civilization need to live around that ark so that there's an escape route if it floods again, if God floods the earth again? Does no one need to maintain the ark? You know, if you leave anything outside, it's going to deteriorate. Does he need to make sure the wood doesn't rot? Does he need to keep it up, keep it prepared? Does he need to keep it stocked? And God says, no, I will never, ever do this again. I will never flood the whole earth again. I make a covenant with you and every living thing that I will never do this again. You are secure to start living now. Now, when you read a passage like this and anything in Genesis and these Old Testament books, 
you need to remember that even though Noah is the main human character, he's not the main subject. It's always about God. And it's about conveying God's character in history, lived out with his people. So what do we learn about God from this so far? Well, we see that God relates to his people through covenants. Now, covenant isn't a word that we talk about a whole lot typically, but basically it just means that God binds himself to his people with promises. That's what a covenant is. It's binding two parties together with promises. That's how God relates to his people. Then and still, he binds himself to his people with promises. Now, as we're thinking about this topic of security, think back to when you were a child. Some of you don't have to think back as far. But children feel secure with their parents because they know their parents are committed to them. They go to sleep at night and they are certain in most cases that their parents are going to still be there in the morning when they wake up because their parents are committed to them. And a child has a great deal of security because of that. Now, if a child's in a situation where he's not so sure about the parental commitment, that turns the whole world upside down. There is nothing like the insecurity of a child who doesn't know if his or her parents are committed. So the commitment of the parents begets the, the security of the child. It works the same way in marriage. Spouses can feel secure when their commitment to one another is solid. But when one spouse's commitment begins to waver, the other spouse begins to feel insecure. So commitment, again, begets security. And it's the same way for us as God's people. Our security comes from the fact that God relates to us in a covenant. He has bound himself to us with promises, just like he bound himself to Noah and the earth with the promise not to flood it again. Now think again how important this would have been to Noah. So after the flood, we lived in a world that was different than before the flood, and now there would be rain and there would be storms. Now, if you've undergone any kind of traumatic event, you know anything that's at all like that original trauma can bring you emotionally right back to the same place, as if you're reliving the trauma again. Noah was a flesh and blood man and his family, they were just like us. I have to imagine when a storm cloud appeared on the horizon or a drizzle began, Emotionally, they must have had some feelings there. It must have been tempting to be terrified. It's happening again. Or at least be flashing back and remembering the screams of the people that didn't make it on the ark and the terror. How could Noah feel secure when a storm came up? It could have only come from faith in God's covenant faithfulness. He could only have felt secure based on the promises God had made in the covenant. And so it is with us. We are in what is called in the Bible uh, the new covenant. And I'll read to you a passage about that. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. This is a promise of a covenant that would come. God made several covenants with his people. It almost forms kind of a roadmap of Scripture. And here he's pointing ahead and he's saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you that's unlike any of the covenants I've made with my people before. He says in verse 31 of Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Here are the promises. Remember, God, a covenant is God binding himself to his people with promises. Here come some promises. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So here's this glimpse at the new covenant to come. The new binding of God to his people to come. And this is absolutely central to our sense of security as people in a fallen world. It's essential for our salvation. And then branching from that, all the other promises of God are believable because this covenant is believable. Now, I've told you this illustration before, but as you know, I only have about seven illustrations that I just recycle. Before we moved here to the church parsonage, we lived in Albemarle in a house that was built in 1935. It was an older house. And the house had a lot of issues that I was not competent to tackle on my own. And we moved up here, and we were busy. We had Lillian. We, we had two kids. I was trying to figure out how to be a pastor. And so we rented the house out for a while, and when trouble would arise when there was problems with the house, I would just have to tell my property manager, I just need you to take care of it. Just get somebody out there that's trustworthy to do a good job and take care of it. One of the problems that came up was the railing on the front steps. We had brick front steps and white wooden railing on both sides, handrail. And one of the rails just was sort of broken and leaning. And so we needed to get it fixed. And so the property manager had a trustworthy person come out and fix it. Um, I, I wasn't able to supervise any of that. I came to check on it after. And the rail, I was told it was fixed, yet it was still crooked. And I went to inspect it, and the person had fixed it by bolting it to a broken off section of bricks from the steps. Whatever it had been fixed to before had proved shaky and unstable, and so they bolted it to something else that was shaky and unstable. It was bolted really secure. I mean, it was tight onto that block of bricks, but the block of bricks you could pick up and move around. Now, isn't that the same thing that we do? We find that we have bolted our lives to something for security, and it proves shaky and unreliable. And then we just bolt ourselves to some other shaky and unreliable thing for security. We attach ourselves to our jobs for our sense of security, and then the economy changes, and we get downsized out of it, and Oh no, it turns out my job wasn't so secure and stable. So I bolt myself to my family. Something happens and the family gets shifted. Okay, I'll bolt myself to my health. Something happens and our health shifts. And people in this world just go through this cycle of bolting themselves to other shakable objects for security, never finding rest for their souls. Always chasing it. It always eluding them. But not so for us. Because through Jesus Christ, we have been bolted to God himself in the new covenant. The only immovable thing in this world 
are the promises of God made real for us through Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Going back to Genesis, we see him make a covenant, and then we see him make a visual aid to go along with the covenant. Let's read verses 12 and 13. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is a rainbow. He's talking about a rainbow. This is the Bible's history of rainbows. It was a visual aid related to God's covenant with all the earth that he was never going to destroy it again with a flood. Now think about Noah viewing his first rainbow and then subsequent subsequent rainbows after storms had come through. So you see the storm clouds come and the rains fall. You imagine how his family must have, some part of them felt like, I I really hope this isn't going to be the beginning of another flood. God said that he wouldn't. And then sure enough, the clouds begin to clear and he sees that rainbow and he says, yes, God kept his covenant promise, just like he said he would. God's sign of the covenant certifies his commitment to the covenant. We still do this today with wedding rings. The way I talk about a wedding ring during a wedding ceremony is that this is, this is the sign of the marriage covenant. This is the visual aid of the marriage covenant. You look at it and you remember, I am committed to my spouse. My spouse is committed to me. Other people see it and they realize they're committed to somebody in marriage. And we have a sign for the new covenant. Do you know what the sign for the new covenant is? What we enjoy in the new covenant through Jesus Christ has a visual aid also. Let's look at it in Luke chapter 22. Verses 14 through 20. Luke chapter 22. This is Jesus in the last supper with his disciples before he would go to be crucified. He wanted to enjoy the Passover meal, big important Jewish festival meal with his disciples one more time. And we'll read the whole scene together there in verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this bread and this cup that we're about to partake is something Jesus gave to the church as a sign of the new covenant in the same way that God gave to Noah and his descendants a rainbow as the sign of his covenant. The same way Noah and his descendants were to look at that rainbow and be reminded of God's faithfulness to his promise made in the covenant, we are to look to the cup and the bread as a reminder of God's faithfulness to us in the new covenant. 
But note that back in Genesis, it actually doesn't say that the rainbow was to remind Noah. It's kind of surprising the twist that the passage takes as we read on starting at verse 14. Look and see who the rainbow was supposed to be reminding. God continuing to talk to Noah about the rainbow. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. That is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. God says, I will remember. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, why would God need to remember his own covenant? Would he forget? Would he be busying himself with some other aspect of creation and turn around and say, oh man, I left the faucet on, it's flooding again. I need to put a sticky note. Oh, the rainbow will remind me. Well, no, God is not like man that he needs to be reminded of anything. When the Bible talks about God remembering something, it's not him recalling some information that he lost, that he forgot. It's God acting on a previous commitment that he has made. And we use the word remember that way as well. Um, I meant to ask the parties involved if I could use this illustration and forgot. So I'm just going to go for it. Um, Where we drop the kids off in the morning for school is very close to where the Walshes live. And then where we come back to up here is exactly where Jeff Walsh and Isaac Walsh work up at ACGC. So often we will just give them a lift with us on our way back. We'll, we'll pick up Jeff or sometimes Jeff and Isaac. Usually I'm the one that, that does that, and it's just part of my routine. But every once in a while, Meredith ends up taking the kids. And she did that one day this week. And midway through the day, it occurred to me, I wonder if she remembered to pick up Jeff. And uh, later I saw that Jeff was indeed here, so she did remember it. So when she pulled in to, to pick up Jeff, she was remembering her commitment, not in the sense that she ever forgot it, in the sense that she was acting on a previous commitment. She was remembering it. The, the, the action of picking him up was the action of her remembering it, her acting on what she had previously committed to do. That's what the Bible is referring to when it's talking about God. It's not that he's in danger of forgetting to not flood the earth again, and it's not that he's in danger in the new covenant of forgetting to forgive us of our sins because of Jesus. It's that he is acting on it right now. He's remembering it right now. That's what the sign indicates. So when we receive the cup and the bread in just a moment, it's reminding us of the covenant relationship we share with God through Jesus Christ. And it's reminding us that God remembers, that God doesn't forget, that God acts on the promises that he's made. God remembers the promises that he makes to his people. He does not forget, and he does not fail. He never has, and he never will. We live in an extremely insecure world that is very shakable, and everything about you may crumble and fall to the ground, but God's promises will always stand and will always hold. They are solid as a fact. When I make a promise to you, You don't know if I'm going to fulfill it until I do fulfill it because I have forgotten my promises before. 
Lillian is still waiting for me to take her to urban air. I promised that probably a year ago. I, am, I fail at my promises. God does not. So we turn to the table now, the cup and the bread, and all that it signifies. And you were given on your way in a sheet of paper that has promises on it. Because I didn't want this to seem like some kind of abstract theological exercise. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what Christianity is. It's living by faith in God's promises to us through Jesus Christ. Now, the core of that is what I read to you from Jeremiah, that he will be our God, we will be his people, he will remember our sins no more. Through Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness and reconciliation with him. That's the the core of what we remember in the cup and the bread. Symbolizes his broken body on the cross, his spilt blood on the cross for us. But from that seed sprouts hundreds of other promises that are related to that throughout Scripture. And so everybody has these pieces of paper that have different promises on them. They're not all the same. They're taken from different books of the Bible. And we always take our time as we go through the process of the Lord's Supper. And I wanted you to have that in hand to just read over those promises. Maybe one of them will pop off the page as particularly pertinent to you right now. Those are facts. If you're a Christian, those are as solid as a fact. He does not forget his promises. Now, I'll invite the deacons to come forward and we'll receive the bread and the cup. As you meditate on those promises and consider them, what would it look like to fully and completely believe and trust in God's promises 